0: Take your Bibles, turn to Mark, Mark 16, Mark 16. We're going to read, it. Uh, if you have your own Bibles and you have a different version than the ESV that uh, I use... Uh, may be a little different, but it gets to the same same place. It'll be on the screen if that's more convenient for you. Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. You follow as I read. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking back, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And this young man said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... "...that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you." And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, talking about Christ, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons." she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, verse 14, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining At table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. May God's blessing be on the reading of the word. Let's pray before we look further at Scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, We thank you for Christ this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the risen Savior that, Lord, we worship today. We thank you for this wonderful truth that by it is the very heart, Lord, of our faith. And so I pray that today you will encourage us through your word. You will strengthen us, God. Lord, for those who are here today that need God, a special uh, touch from you, God, a special sense of God, that assurance that God, that your love is real to them. Holy Spirit, I pray that that would be done today. Lord, let your word have its way. Give us ears to hear and feet to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name and amen and amen. Contrary to what maybe some might think, Easter has nothing to do with bunnies, rabbits, Dying eggs, spring flowers, baby chicks, and whatever else. Um, The New Testament testifies that three days after being crucified under Pontius Pilate, Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb, and on that third day, Jesus rose from the dead bodily, physically. Physically. During his earthly ministry, he said many times in the New Testament that this would take place. In fact, the scripture we read, uh, he rebuked them for not believing what he had told them in advance. He fulfilled this prediction on the first day of the week, after the third day after his death, when he rose and walked out of that tomb. And it's important to just remind ourselves a few things before we uh, look at Mark in just a moment. But it's important to every year, perhaps I take a little time to do this, to reiterate that when we talk about Jesus rising from the dead, it wasn't that Jesus just rose by mere spirit. Jesus physically, bodily rose and walked out of the tomb. His resurrection was not just an intense figment of the apostles' imagination and a desire to see something that didn't have a reality or, as some who deny the supernaturalness of Scripture, that He has risen in our hearts. It really doesn't matter if He physically rose from the dead. He is alive in our hearts. There's been an existential experience of this resurrected Jesus, and whether it's literal, doesn't make any difference. Jesus rose from the dead, body and soul, and this, according to the New Testament record, is verifiable, eyewitnesses that authenticate the reality of this. And uh, don't take time to do it, but in today's bulletin you see a short little article by Lee Strobel uh, about some of those evidences that led to his uh, conversion, a former atheist who worked for the Chicago Tribune, and how he went about to investigate the resurrection because his wife came to faith in Christ, and he didn't want that this religion stuff of his wife to mess up this marriage they had, so he went and he sought to investigate this resurrection of Jesus and only to find that as a reporter uh, that the facts and the information was overwhelming and he himself became a believer. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, if this had never taken place, uh, then certainly it would have been in the interests of those who were enemies of the church early on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the Romans, who all of them conspired to put him on the cross and crucify him. It would have certainly been in their interest that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, you know, this movement, this Christian movement, could have been snuffed out really quickly by doing one thing, producing the corpse, producing the body. But nobody has yet to produce a body. The New Testament books all acknowledge the historical validity of the resurrection. They all agree, the historical, the, the gospels, all are in agreement. Uh, there may be some variation of details, but on the details that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, that one or more angels was present at the empty tomb. That the women were the first to hear about the resurrection? Now just stop and think with me about that. Now that may not be significant to you, but in first century culture, a woman's opinion in a legal setting at least, especially in the culture, was very, very low. So if this was going to be some concocted massive scheme by these 11 disciples, they would not have used women... As the first eyewitnesses, because women in that culture at that time did not have any credibility. But yet, who are the first eyewitnesses and proclaimers of the resurrection but these women? Which again, the point is, is that this was not some concocted scheme. In fact, as we read it, all of the the, the disciples, even those who witnessed the empty tomb, they did not believe it. It wasn't like something they had such an intense belief in and they were going to massage and orchestrate circumstances to make it look like something that didn't take place. In fact, the resurrection happened against what they were, own, they were, they were predisposed to think and to believe. They didn't have any intention of believe it, believing this resurrection. So it doesn't make sense that this was some massive hoax by the disciples, let alone the fact That all twelve of these disciples, apostles, and those who were eyewitnesses, all died as martyrs, were killed because they would not recant. You know, people will believe something that they think is true but is not, but it goes against human reasoning that people would die for something that they know is not true. Right? It just doesn't make sense. No recantation. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul was recounting the resurrection, that one of uh, Jesus' appearances, that he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. Some have said, well, this resurrection that, going back to their intense desire to see the risen Jesus, they they hallucinated. Well, you might have a hallucination, but, but 500 people do not have a synchronized hallucination at the same time. The resurrection of Jesus... And by the way, this is all introduction. The resurrection of Jesus is vital... Because it demonstrates that when Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he was the Son of God, sent by God, it validates what he said is true. There was a lot of people that claimed to be the Messiah, that claimed to be spokesmen for God. Even in this day and time, there are those that claim... To be the Messiah. There's the David Koresh, there's the Jim Jones, there's cult leaders that claim, but yet something they just can't pull off is when they die, they stay dead. Jesus did not stay dead. By his resurrection, he authenticated that what he said, what he did, what he exposed to us about God was all true. He rose from the dead, it validated. And secondly, It also confirms the fact that Jesus is innocent of sin. Death is a consequence of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. Death with sin, death entered into the world in humankind's fall and rebellion against God. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead... Reminds us that he was born without sin. He was the spotless Lamb of God, that picture of that Old Testament sacrifice as the Lamb of God who atoned for our sins. Only a sinless Savior could atone for our sins. The resurrection authenticates that Jesus was without sin because he is alive. And finally, the resurrection proves in light of this that the Father accepted the atonement of Christ as the penalty, as the payment for our sin. God accepted His death as the true and complete atonement for our sin by bringing Jesus back to life on the third day. He was raised for our justification. Paul said that without a literal resurrection, our faith, is in vain. It's empty. Christianity, you all are the biggest fools for coming to get up early and hear something that's not true. Paul said, if the resurrection didn't take place, we are the most to be pitied because this is just a big waste of time. This is a fantasy. But the historical record of the New Testament, and there's certainly a lot more that... uh, You can read and study on this. Lee Strobel, I think the website is listed at the end of that little article in the bulletin today. And I would encourage you to look at uh, some of his material. But this morning, again, that was all introduction. Even though the clock is running. uh, But this morning, I want us to focus on something um, that is from the passage that we read in Mark chapter 16 and I want us to focus on two words two words in Mark 16:7 Mark 16:7 from the text we read it from the beginning Mark's account of the resurrection and we see the gospel expressed in just two words and it's these two words that I want to emphasize this morning verse 7 when Jesus said but go tell his disciple or Or The angel said, go tell his disciples, and here's the two words, and Peter, and Peter. It's interesting that the message the disciples were to disseminate was not go, I want you to go bang on Pilate's door, I want you to find Herod. I want you to find all the enemies and tell them what massive fools they are that Jesus was, is resurrected from the dead. He didn't tell them that. Instead, the intent, the first, the first mission, if you will, was a mission of grace and affection and forgiveness, and especially when he said, tell the disciples and, hey, and Peter. Why is that significant? Well, if you know just a little bit, of the story. You know that Peter experienced massive failure and meltdown at the arrest, trial, crucifixion of Christ. Bible tells us that he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but he denied him three times. Now why is three? If you read your Bible, you'll see that three is a very significant number. Three is, we have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three is a number in, in the way the Bible uses numbers. Three is a number of completeness and thoroughness. So the emphasis that he denied Jesus three times was mean that he thoroughly and completely denied Jesus. It wasn't just a little avoidance of a uh, conversation, but that he completely and thoroughly Denied, apostated himself, if you will, from ever knowing Jesus. No small crime, right? And it's interesting because Peter at one time in John 13 bragged to Jesus when he said, I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. I will go wherever you go, and I will lay down my life. And so, fast forward, he's in the courtyard. Jesus is under arrest. This is Friday morning-ish of our Holy Week calendar. The Bible says that Peter was sitting outside of the courtyard, and somebody said, hey, aren't you with that Jesus, the Galilean? And he denied it, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little later, somebody said, a servant girl, a young girl, who knows, maybe 11, 10, 12, said, I recognize you. You are with that Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I do not even know the man. And then thirdly, some bystanders came up and said to Peter, we know we know for a fact that you're one of his followers. And they said, certainly you're one of them. Your accent betrays you, according to Matthew. And listen to what Peter did. This is the thoroughness of that third denial. He said, he began when they said, we know that you're a follower of Jesus. He said, and it be- he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear and said, I do not know the man. And the Bible says, and immediately after that third denial, the rooster crowed. Because Jesus told him back in John 13, when Peter said, I will lay my life down for you. Jesus said, before the rooster will crow, you will deny me three times. Meaning, before sunup. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly because of the words that Jesus spoke. But Mark 16, 7, two words, and I think if we just let their significance sink in a little bit, the fact that Jesus gave this special assignment message um, to go and tell and don't forget to make sure that you single out Peter, I don't know. It doesn't say, but maybe the disciples uh, who had heard what Peter did, maybe they had already began to say, "Well, he's gone. He's not one of us. He's he's denied Jesus." And they're, because they were already in panic. Remember the rest. I mean, this is where you got to give Peter a little credit. He's in the uh, he he's in the outside the courtyard to where this trial and flogging and beating is taking place to Jesus, it doesn't say that John, James, Andrew, Nathaniel. it doesn't say they're around him. What are they doing? They're huddled up hiding because Jesus said don't think that because they came for me, they're not going to come after you. They know what their fate is. But Peter, give him a little credit, he's right in the thick of it, right? But I think he's singled out not that's like because he's the leader of the disciples, and he is probably the spokesman leader. But I think Jesus is wanting to give that reassurance to Peter that even though you failed, you're still one of mine. Isn't that a great That's, that's the gospel, guys. even though you blew it. Even though you were unfaithful, unfaithful to me, Jesus would say, perhaps, I remain faithful to you. Aren't you glad that even though our grip might get loose and falter, that his grip on your life is strong? That all those the Father has put into his hands, he will not lose what one of them. And so on this Easter morning, many of us perhaps feel like where Peter stood, needing a second chance, we're in need of the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you feel like not only have you just blown it, but you continue to blow it. You feel like you've used up whatever last bit of grace that God had. You don't even ask. For forgiveness because you're so worn out asking again and again over the same thing. You feel like you're the world's biggest failure. Remember uh, Paul, the apostle, identified him. He said that he was the chief of sinners. That's how Paul felt about his own sin. But this morning, in the time that we have, I want to declare to you on this resurrection morning, this Easter morning, that there is new life, there's hope for new life. For you today, regardless of brokenness, disappointment in yourself, with others, maybe even feeling disappointment to God. But God is the God of the second chance this morning. And those two little words reveal that this second chance with God is not only possible, but it's personal, it's private, and it's profitable. Look with me at this first thought, that the second chance, the second chance is possible. How is the second chance possible? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, if there was no resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no good news. There's no hope. There's no second chance. Think about it. The Bible is full of stories. That's what makes this really and authenticates, authenticates the Bible really kind of in a backhanded way because if I was going to concoct and come up with a religious book that everybody would believe, I would make sure that everybody, all the heroes, all the narratives, everybody is flawless and perfect. But the Bible doesn't present people like that, does it? No. It presents people kind of like us. I mean, think about some of the biggies. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. And he also acted in violence. Jonah ran from God, clearly disobeying God. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Paul, before he was Paul, Saul... What did he do? He persecuted Christians thinking he was doing God's business. In fact, he even oversaw the death of Stephen there in Acts chapter 7. But there's something important that when we read that account, or actually when I reminded you of the account when Peter remembered after that third denial, it says that Peter wept bitterly. That's That's a response of repentance so the second chance is possible but it's not automatic there must be a sense of repentance before God that I have sinned before you you see there is no second chance for Judas the rich young ruler Pontius Pilate why Why did they miss their second chance? Because they never sought forgiveness from the Lord. So it's not automatic, but it is possible that the Lord Jesus stands to forgive us. And so the second chance is for men and women like Peter who have recognized their sin, repented over their sin, grieved over their sin. You know, talking about Judas... Remember what Judas did? I mean, Judas, in much the same way, betrayed Jesus, did he not? And when he was overwhelmed by the guilt, what did he do? He went, and the Bible says that he went and committed suicide. He hung himself. You see, atone, you see, here's the, here's the problem. Judas's atoning and giving his own life does nothing for your sin. You see, there's only one life that can atone for sin, and that's Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, God made Him, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So the second chance this morning is not only possible, but notice secondly that this second chance is possible personal. This second chance is personal. You know, Peter in Matthew 16, 18 was given a new name in essence by Jesus. Remember in Matthew 16, that's the passage where Jesus is asking the question, who do men say that I am? And Jesus, uh, Peter, you know, hit the ball out of the park, you know, when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And And uh, in verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was not naming Peter to be the pope. Okay, just make sure you don't fall into that mistake. It's really a play of two words, because in the Greek, Peter and rock are similar, but they're different words. Peter means stone, rock petra is a boulder a rock so jesus is saying peter you're a little stone but as long as you're connected by your confession of who i am you're a boulder you're a rock because you're tied to the rock you you may be a little stone but you're part of me you're part of the rock jesus is the rock jesus is the boulder and so he's given this name, and it's interesting because when you think of a, a rock, you think of stability. Was oh, it prudential insurance that has their logo, the, uh, what is the, 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 what's the, what is it, Gibraltar, you know, their logo? Um, you know, because that pictures stability. Now, at this point, Peter is anything but what we would call a rock, let alone a stone, Maybe a rolling stone, but not certainly a stone that. But he called. Here's what I want you to see. This second chance is personal in that Mark's Gospel, 16 7, he calls Peter by name. He calls Peter by name. Isn't that marvelous? That God knows your name that God knows you personally. John ten three. Jesus speaking of himself said, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep, meaning God's people, hear his voice, and listen to this, he, Jesus speaking of himself, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love and what a comfort it is to know That the Lord Jesus is intimately acquainted with my life. I'm not just a number. I'm not just among the masses. The picture of the shepherd going after that one sheep that has strayed. He knows us by name. He called out Peter personally. The God of the second chance. Psalm 139 reminds us of the intimacy and the acquaintance that God has with us because He made us. Psalm 139, verse 1, the psalmist writes, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am doing, you know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. Verse 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched me in this womb as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And the psalmist says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. He has great thoughts about God, but he's amazed that God has such wonderful thoughts about him. God of the second chance is personal. Jesus would remind us that God is so intimately knowledgeable of our lives that he speaks about knowing the very hairs on our head. In fact, there's not a detail of his creation that he doesn't know about. Even, he says in Matthew chapter 10, he said, even when a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows about it. So how much more? And that's the point of Jesus in Matthew 10. If God has such care over creation, How much more valuable are you to your Creator? Lamentations 3, Jeremiah writes, The steadfast of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen, my friend, you may have emptied The ATM of grace at eleven fifty nine, but here's good news: at twelve o'clock midnight, brand new load of mercies were deposited into your spiritual bank of America or whatever it is account. All right, your mercies are new every morning. You think you've exhausted the mercy of God? You can't exhaust the mercy of God. The second chance is not only possible, personal, but thirdly. the second chance is private. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is Paul's account of the resurrection. He begins in verse 1, really the gospel, when he says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to The word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. He said, the gospel is first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Cephas is another name for Peter. And then to the twelve. Do you see that again? The second chance of Christ was personal. The resurrection, after the resurrection, one of the things that the Lord does is he meets with Peter. That We don't know what took place there, but we see this tenderness, is that the Lord appeared to Peter privately. Do you know anything about the private moments of the presence of God in your life? Even when you feel you're so down that you have to look up to see bottom. And the Master meets you in a tender, intimate moment to remind you that you belong to Him. That He's faithful even when we're not. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The second chance is not only possible, personal, private, but last, the second chance is profitable. In John 21 I won't, doesn't have it on the screen, so I'm gonna paraphrase this for you. After, and there's multiple appearances of Christ, but in John 21 is one of my favorite because this is when the resurrected Jesus appeared to his disciples uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And in that moment, after this resurrection, they weren't sure what was happening. And many of them, and Peter, basically got tired of sitting around, and it says in John 21, verse 3, that he said, I am going to go fishing. Remember what Peter did for a living? He was a fisherman. I'm not going to just sit around and stare at you guys. I'm going to go fish, fishing. And they said, well, we'll come too. And the Bible says that at dawn, Jesus was on the beach, on the shore, but his disciples couldn't see who it was from that distance. And Jesus called out to them in their boat out on the Sea of Galilee and said, hey, fellows, have you caught any fish? Remember, they didn't really they didn't know who it was. And they said, no. And then he said, Jesus, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So they did. And the Bible says they couldn't haul in the net Because there were so many fish in it. And it's interesting, in verse 7, at that very moment, guess who recognizes who that is? The Bible says, Then the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, John actually recognized it, sorry. But when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, I love how he reacted. Now, not to be uh, too, uh, but basically the man is stripped down pretty bad uh, because he's out on the sea fishing. The Bible says he put on his tunic or his coat because he had stripped for work and he did not wait for the boat to go to shore, but he jumped into the water and headed to shore. You know what made him so passionate is he wanted to get to grace and forgiveness as fast as he could? He wanted to get to Christ. And when he got there, Jesus was making breakfast. In fact, the Bible says that they dragged the, the uh, amount of fish into the shore and Jesus began to prepare breakfast for them. And it's in this moment that Jesus asked Peter three times. Here we are at three times again. Do you remember? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And then he asked him again, Do you love me? You know I love you. Now, there's a little bit of play on the words here. Because the word that Jesus is using is the Greek word for love, which is agape. Agape, as you may know, in the Greek, is a selfless, expecting nothing in return. It is the love that Christ demonstrated on the cross the agape love of God and so Jesus is saying do you agape me and Peter is responding you know I philo you philo you ever heard of Philadelphia the city of brotherly love in the Greek there's a word for love that is a love that's used for uh, affections of friends and brothers meaning do you love me self-sacrificially Peter well Jesus you know you're my best bud Uh, That isn't exactly what we want to go for. But then he asked him a third time and said, Jesus, or Simon, do you love me? And finally Peter just says, I don't know. You know all things. Now why is that kind of interesting? Because there was a time in Peter's life he was very cocky and bold To say, look, I love you more than these other guys. I'll go to my death to protect you, Jesus. Now, Peter's not so sure. He's not sure about his affection to Jesus. Don't misunderstand me. But he's a little hesitant. He's a little hesitant to speak so boldly. And he says, Jesus, you know everything. You know everything. And you know, it's interesting because it's at that moment Jesus tells Peter to go and feed my sheep. Peter, now you're at the place where you acknowledge, yes, I know everything. You can do nothing apart from me. You're not so so brash and bold and full of yourself. Now, now, now I can do something with your life because you're totally dependent on me. Jesus, I don't even know my own heart. You know everything. And you know what's interesting and this is maybe a lesson for us is this encounter is very similar, in fact it's almost identical to what we find in Luke Luke 5 when Jesus first encountered Peter and some of the other disciples. They were doing the same thing. And the very same dialogue where Jesus said, have you caught anything today? Why don't you cast your nets over to the other side? And you remember Peter's like, you know, hey, we're the fishermen here, Jesus. I hear you're a carpenter, and I'm sure you're really good, but why don't you leave this to us? This is not your lane, right? But it says that You know, almost to humor him, they cast their nets over to the other side. And you know what happened. The haul of fish was so great. And they weren't so impressed with the fish, but they immediately recognized that this man is unlike any man they've ever met. It's interesting that it was that. Fast forward. What did Jesus do in that event post-resurrection he took Peter back to the first place that they met. A similar encounter. Some of you, sometimes me, we need to get back to that first moment when Jesus was precious, when our affections to Christ were warm. Oh, we know a lot about theology, know a lot about the Bible, know a lot about this and that and the other, but yet our hearts have grown cold. Jesus took Peter back to the first place of that encounter when, they, when Jesus restored Peter, reconciled Peter, if you will. Gave him in that, remember three temptations? What did he ask him three times? Complete, just as there was complete failure, what did Jesus do? Jesus in that three gave him complete, full forgiveness. Thorough forgiveness. You have thorough forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have a way of remembering our own failures. Certainly other people's failures we're good at remembering, right? But Jesus never will give up on us. The psalmist says in Psalm 103... For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Listen, He is the God of the second chance, and the third chance, and the fourth chance and the fifth chance, and the fiftieth chance, and the eight-hundredth chance. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. The Bible says that we are all like sheep and have gone astray. But the Lord has laid the sins of us all upon Christ. He has bore our sins. And so you have to maybe ask the question Jesus asked his disciples back in Matthew 16. When Jesus asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? What's the word on the street? But then he asked them very personally, Who do you say that I am? Now, I think I always think of C.S. Lewis, and I've shared this before. C.S. Lewis says, Look, your evaluation of Jesus comes down to three things Jesus is either a liar or a fraud but we know he's not a liar or a fraud because we know that what he said came to pass and his words are true. But he might be a liar to you. And so you have to say, well, who do you say that I am? Or maybe he's a lunatic just out of his mind. Well, I don't think that holds up biblically because you remember in John 3, Nicodemus, this man of the a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, One of the higher-ups of Israel said to Jesus, I recognize that you come from God because nobody could do the miracles you do unless they're sent from God. So lunatic doesn't work. So what's the third option? The third option is Lord. He must be Lord. Is he your Lord? Who do you say that Jesus is? This morning, as we just close and prepare our hearts, I want you just to bow in a word of prayer. And Nobody, please move, walk around, just stay still for a moment. Today, you may need the grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That he who believes in me will have this life, and I am the resurrection and the life, and if you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. And so if you this morning, maybe you're a a fan of Jesus, but you're really not a follower. Jesus isn't interested in fans. He wants followers. And this morning, I want to invite you to know this God of the second chance. The resurrection of Jesus affirms that Jesus lives to bring forgiveness, to bring bring grace. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in just a moment, if you today want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. It's not complicated. You don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to take classes. You don't even have to be a member of this church. But I want to encourage you in the quietness of your own heart. I'm not going to ask you to, to walk an aisle, wave your hand, fill out a card. You're not going to have to do anything, but you will encourage you to pray in the quietness of your own heart. I want you to you want to receive Jesus Christ this morning, the resurrected, the living Jesus, and you want to receive him personally and see what is possible, I want you just to pray this prayer. You don't have to repeat it out loud, but you just pray it in the quietness of your own heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. You, Jesus, did all that will ever be necessary for me to stand in your holy presence for all eternity. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and change my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. And I pray this in your name. Amen. It's that simple. It's that simple. He is the God of the second chance. I'm glad that He's patient and gracious in my life. And so this morning, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, maybe if the record was written, maybe it wouldn't say and Peter, but it might say and Paul and Susan and Phil, and Jim, and Tim. Grace. Grace, grace, grace. Unmerited favor of God is a great reminder of this new life that we celebrate. Historical reality, yes, but Jesus Christ is alive. And I know Him. And I want you to know Him as well.